Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of CoveyClub.com and of this podcast. And I am Reinvention Central for many of you. I'm really, really excited that I have Sandy Weiner today. And what I love about her, I'll give you a little bit about her background, but she is not a multitasker. She is an omnitasker. And she is one of those people, much like me, that has to have, I like to graze in my career. I can't stand being put into a box. If you're one of those people who can't stand it, just being told, just do this little thing, the cog in the wheel thing, and be happy with it. You're gonna love this uh, podcast. Because what she did is, yes, she would move from different things to different things, but she also did them simultaneously in order to balance out making money and having a uh, creative side. She's very creative. So let me give you just her background so you hear in the background um, what it is that she was doing. So Sandy Weiner helps women uncover their highest potential and unleash the leader within. The CEO of Last First Date, so she does dating also, and the Women of Value. She's an internationally known TEDx speaker, dating and relationship coach, women's empowerment coach, and author. She's also the host of two podcasts, Last First Date Radio and the Women of Value podcast. Sandy believes a woman of value gets the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. She is also an artist on the side. She paints furniture. She teaches creative arts. She does, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. And I also know that a lot of you say what frustrates you is that you may have to find a job that supplies income, but it may not be creative. So how can you, if you can't mesh the two, how do you do that? I was very lucky in my career that I had a career that paid and allowed me to be creative. I would say that 90% of people can't do that. It doesn't work like that. So how do you do that? How do you balance those two? And then how do you take your creative stuff and make that make money for you? So anyway, here's the wonderful Sandy Weiner. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for doing this. I love everything you do. And I'm so glad we get to dig into your reinvention story. I'm excited to be here, Leslie. Awesome. So as I told you, I like to go back and find the roots of all causes. I'm just a researcher, I guess. So talk a little bit about like, where did you grow up and how did you grow up? What did you study? And then we'll go forward into your various reinventions. Well, my childhood's Childhood story is kind of long, so I'm going to keep it short. I was born in Atlanta. I lived there till I was eight, and we had a forest in our backyard. And that was really pivotal to my creativity because we would build forts in our backyard. We would have the whole neighborhood over, and we would build whole worlds in this pine forest with creeks running by it. And I think it, it really was a catalyst to who I became later in life. So we moved from there when I was eight to Long Branch, New Jersey, to the shore. And there, I stayed there till I was 12 or 13, and then Baltimore. And in college, I studied art. I studied fine art. I was told my whole life by my parents, you're such a talented artist. 
you're great at art. They never told me how to make a living doing art, but you're great at art. So that was all I really knew. And I never really took art classes until college. And it was really exciting, but I graduated with a degree in fine arts and had no idea what to do with it. I also, for a while, was studying art therapy because there was a part of me, and this will connect to what I did later on in my life, there was a part of me that always wanted to understand people better and how they worked. So I was always fascinated by that, but I didn't love the art therapy program. So I went back into just fine arts and I got a job in graphic design, which was really not at all creative to me. It was in those days, this was 1980. It was my first job in graphic design. It was like cut and paste on a board. We didn't have computers back then. And it was very dry. It was, it was about like picking the right font, sticking it on a board, making slideshows for companies like Merrill Lynch. And I was bored out of my mind. But in the meantime, I would come home from work and I would create illustrations and started to kind of build a side business doing the art that I loved. Then I got married. I don't know how far you want me to go with this story, Leslie. <laughs> I could go on and on, but no, I these are all amazing. Like I was just going to say to you, like, holy moly, <laughs> like I want to get back. I want to know where the fork comes back in and where the backyard comes back in. So this is great. But I think all those, I mean, people have to know that all these things in their past can either be picked up later on or can inform where you're headed. So keep going and yeah, condense, but keep going. It's great. Yeah. Okay. So I married a guy who was a comedian, professional comedian. He, at the time that I met him, he had already been on Saturday Night Live a number of times and uh, he was working on a, a set for the David Letterman show. And so I connected to his childlike self because he was very silly. He had puppets as part of his act and he connected to my art. And so we, we ended up, I, I, he hired me to, to create a poster for his college tour that he was doing. And we got to see the kind of core of who we both were creatively and were attracted to that part of, of each other. That was probably the deepest connection we had. And uh, we ended up traveling together for the first probably three months of our marriage. He was doing a tour of colleges up and down the East Coast and out through Texas. And I started working on a children's book. So I quit my job as a graphic designer. He said to me, oh my God, you're so much more talented than that. You're killing yourself. Just quit your job, come on the road and do what you love. I had never thought about doing what I love because I was so practical about everything. I have to make money. And that was really killing my soul. And doing this children's book was just really, it, it sort of ignited something in me. And so I was working on that while he was doing his comedy. And I was also helping him write. And eventually we created a children's television show for Nickelodeon together. And I was one of the head writers. I did a lot of um, sort of supervision of the art department, the film department. I got on the floor with the director, helped him learn how to shoot puppets and how to really manage a lot of things that I didn't even know I had any kind of skill or talent in. 
And so those, those jobs really also informed who I became after I got divorced 23 years later, I realized I was, I was in the wrong marriage. I mean, the, the most connected we were was through our work, but everything else was, was pretty disconnected and very, very challenging. And I went back to school and became a life coach after my divorce. I realized there were parts of me that had been suppressed. And one of them was that art therapy piece where I always was that person. So like I had abandoned that part of me. And in the meantime, I also had an art career throughout my marriage, uh, painting furniture and doing uh, Jewish marriage uh, documents, doing the illumination and the calligraphy. I, I've done a thousand different things. <laughs> so talk about reinvention. I just kept pivoting. And I think a lot of it was just tuning into my intuition. What is it that will really light me up and not just do, doing things for other people. So when I look back at my past, when my parents said, well, you're great at art, but they never gave me guidance as to how to feel valued and how to really make enough money through an art career. And so it was, you know, things like that where I just started tuning in. And I think that was a huge transition after my divorce. So when did you really start making money? Were you, were you making money in the art area or did you then do the coaching and the art at the same time? Did you abandon one for the other? Because I think also people think sometimes they have to pick one or the other. They don't think about two tracking or three tracking their interests. I think I five tracked my interests. <laughs> I... I had a house, you know, I, I got a mortgage on a house when I got divorced. I didn't know how I was going to support myself and my children who were, I had three kids at the time still living with me part-time. So no, I did not go into full-time coaching right away. I actually started my certification program the day I moved into my house. So I, I was not in a position to support myself through coaching. I relied still on my art career I taught private lessons to bat mitzvah girls because I also knew how to read Torah and teach that. And that was a high paying job. Anything that I could do that would yield much more than minimum wage. Uh, so I think I was making like $75 for a 45 minute class at the time for the bat mitzvah lessons. And I think I also got a job as a Hebrew school teacher teaching art to Hebrew school kids. So using all of the parts of me and ways to make as much money as I could as I was building my coaching career. So it took several years for me to be able to support myself fully on the coaching. And it took a while to find my niche in the coaching industry as well. I started out working with women and men who were in midlife transition because that's who I was and helping them figure out their next steps. So again, utilizing who I was, who I was becoming and giving support to people who were doing the same thing I was. And then the, uh, I think we had the uh, 2007 was when I became a coach. So uh, it, it's, it got really bad. The world was kind of falling apart. The fi financially, everybody was, was losing money. 
and self-care looking at those kinds of things was not a, as big a priority as as doing more practical things so i started to work in dating and relationships that became my next field of interest because that was a field that i was also going through dating again and my friends were going through and i realized how they just did such a terrible job of it and i was much better at it and guiding them because of the training that i had in coaching because you learn how to have clarity and how to speak up and how to identify who is your ideal partner all of the things that we learned in coaching were things that I was now applying to my own dating life and helping others do. And so that launched Last First Date, which um, till I think it's about a 13 year business now. And, um, and then I pivoted again <laughs> a couple of years ago. I kind of got tired of the dating part of it and realized that the part that I loved the most was helping empower women to be their best selves in the dating world and outside the dating world. And so I started another company called The Woman of Value and help women to really step into their core value because so many of us play small and don't really step into the full expression of who we are. So are you still doing the dating? You are, right? I am. I'm doing oh, both. Oh, so you are. You're five tracking. And you're and I saw behind you when we did that wonderful event with you where you came and spoke about dating. Now, were you just returning to painting furniture or was that just a you weren't doing it as a business? You were just doing this as a little thing you wanted to do. You showed me that beautiful piece behind you. That was something I painted several years ago, but actually this year I did jump back into painting again. Uh -huh. And uh, I also worked in summer camps as an art director. And I forgot to mention that um, as I was divorcing, I started doing that to help my kids go to camp and be able to afford it. I also worked in their school, their private school to help them afford, to help me afford sending them to private school. I, I ran ceramics departments and art history departments. Um, yeah, so I, I was asked last year to teach high school art in a private high school in my local town here. And I decided to take it because it would be a, a, a course for uh, kids who were choosing it as an elective. So they wanted to be there. It was a small group. And I also combined my coaching with my art teaching. And I told them from the beginning, I will not do this job unless I can also be their coach and really help them to work through anxieties and stresses that they have in high school. It was a challenge for me that I really wanted to do because I never had somebody to talk to in probably most of my life, you know, you just to find an adult who is a safe space. And so that was a really wonderful experience. I'm not going to do it again because it. I tend to take on too much, if you couldn't tell. And focusing is also really important. So that's something I'm learning as I go, that in order to really be the best I can be, I've got to pick a lane and, and stay in it most of the time and do other things within that, like publish my book last year and publishing another book. But um, I really enjoyed it. And the kids, the kids really got life skills, which most of us don't have in high school. 
So what is it, if people are looking for you today, where are they going to find you and what are you doing? You are really <laughs> like an omni-inventor, multi, um, you're the octopus inventor because you're not doing it sequentially. I've talked to a lot of serial inventors, but it you're actually, you're doing many things at a time, but I think that appeals to some people who don't like to be stuck in a box for any period of time at all. So I knew from the beginning of going into coaching that I needed to be doing several things. That is my personality, as you can see. And so I could not just do one-on-one coaching all day. That would, that would burn me out so quickly. So from the beginning, I was doing group coaching, one-on-one coaching, writing, um, and podcasting eventually. Those, those are the main things that I do. And that fills me up so much because I get, I get my whole life, you know, just the, the, the excitement of meeting new people through the podcast, helping people make incredible change through the private coaching, and then more peripherally through group coaching. So right now, my major focus is lastfirstdate.com. That is where I do my dating coaching for women over 40. And uh, I just launched Last First Date University, which is courses and books that support people who don't want to do the private coaching yet. I also have a quiz on my website now that focuses on communication skills. So the next thing for me is a communications course that so it's solely about our communication styles and how we can communicate better just for ourselves, but also when we're in conflict with somebody who has a very different style of communication. Over the years, that has come out as really my primary interest. So as crazy as it sounds, as as sort of disjointed as everything sounds, they're all connected. The Woman of Value came from my own work, trying to figure out what my value was, helping others find their value and stop living in fear. And I do the same work in the coaching for dating. The the art comes in through the creativity that I bring to my courses, the writing, the designing of the courses. It's all connected. It feels like it's not, but if if I want to encourage the audience to look at the breadcrumbs that we all drop along the way, and see how, even though they seem disconnected, there is a core connection to the things that we choose to do. Hi, everybody. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, founder of Covey Club and of this podcast. Sometimes we choose our reinventions. Sometimes our reinventions choose us. But one reinvention that every woman over the age of 40 will have to deal with eventually is the bodily changes that come from perimenopause and menopause. Because some changes your body goes through are really bothersome, I want to introduce you to Covey Club's sponsor, Kindra. Kindra makes estrogen-free products for women like us. Their core supplement includes a clinically studied super antioxidant, pycnogenol, that supports healthy circulation, goodbye hot flashes and night sweats, and mental clarity, so long brain fog, and skin suppleness. Ashwagandha reduces stress and boosts libido. If you're suffering from vaginal dryness, and frankly, who isn't? 
the daily vaginal lotion and applicator will solve your issues. The Featherlight formula has ultra hydrating extracts, including coconut oil, sunflower and safflower seed oil, and moisture loving humectants. It's a Kindra bestseller. So as we go into this hectic season of holiday madness, why not take one reinvention issue off your plate by trying Kindra? Covey listeners can get a special 20% off any product when they use the code COVEY20 at checkout. The vaginal lotion is risk-free. You can return it within 30 days if you're not seeing results. So now back to the show. So let's talk a little bit about dating because you were so amazing in our, our uh, little class that we had with you, which we'll, we'll give a link to so everybody can get to it um, from the show notes here because I want them to hear you too. Um, talk about dating today and especially post-COVID. What the hell? <laughs> I mean, these poor people, I, you know, it's like, and especially if you're new to dating, um, you know, you're over 40, you didn't have to do all this online stuff. Um, even the young people, you know, I have two kids in their twenties and they hate online dating, but they don't seem to think there's anything else out there, but that. So maybe talk a little bit about what are the challenges, especially for women 40 plus, um, and then for, um, post COVID. Yeah. So thank you for, thank you for those nice words. And yeah, it is challenging because I think a lot of people approach online dating in the wrong way. First of all, having the right photos and having the right words in your profile essay are the key. And most people do not write things that are appealing to the person that you're trying to attract. So for example, for women, they often will say things that are very spiritual and kind of airy fairy about their yoga class and their mahjong or whatever it is that they're interested in that men are like, huh, I, I can't relate to that. I don't really understand that. That's probably not something I would fit into. And while that may be a part of you, there's also other parts of you that are important to share that a man can take part in. And so for women, I think it's really important not to just write a profile essay that your friends will think is fabulous, but to write one that your ideal match would find a place in and think, oh, I, I would love to meet that woman. And so I think that's, that's a big part. And I do write people's essays when I work with them. So um, that's one thing. And then knowing how to search, people go for their type and their type is usually the worst person for them. And, <clears throat> you know, the type is that heavy attraction. So for example, I'm working with a woman now who's in her early sixties and She's always gone for the CEO kind of, you know, high profile man. And she just had a date and she said, I was really attracted to his resume. Well, a resume is not a relationship skill base. It is who he is at work, how impressive he is. That does not make for a good relationship. And so we need to really focus on the long-term, not just what we're impressed with, but can that person talk to me? Can they resolve conflict? Can they talk about the hard stuff? Have they created a life for themselves? Do they have a, a, an independent life for themselves? Are they stuck in blaming somebody else for the way they are today? 
those are all things you need to look for. And when you work with a, with a coach like me, you get clarity around who is your ideal partner? Who, what do you really need to look for? So that you stop focusing on all those external shiny things and really focus on what you need, not just what looks good on paper. So that's, that's a big part of it. And post-COVID, I think, again, we have to just know what we're comfortable with. This whole vaccination thing, a lot of people are anti-vax. And if that doesn't work for you, then don't date those people. You know, be really clear about what you want, what you need for your own personal safety and stick to your guns. Set those boundaries early on so you don't have heartbreak later. And I think that applies to every age at every stage of life. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen going on? What are the trends that you're seeing? Are people dating differently after COVID? Are they not dating? What I do think you see is happening? Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting out there. They're, they're craving that social connection and they're dating more. Some people are kind of dropping the boundaries because they're, they miss contact so much that they're just putting themselves out there. Some people are more fearful. So it really depends on, on the person. But I think a lot of people are getting out there again. And you're going to find every kind of person. You're going to find the ones who you date who are still scared to meet in person. And you're going to find people who are ready to get into a relationship. I think we learned a lot over this past year and a half of COVID where we realized what was important in our lives and what we needed. You know, we value those things that may have gotten sort of forgotten over the years with online dating, especially because it's so quick and dismissive and people disappear and stop talking to each other. I think people got a lot more clear about like, I want something much more meaningful than what I had before. Yeah, I was going to ask you exactly that. Did you see a turn towards more meaning? It's funny, I feel like we're going to double track coming out of this. I have a feeling that there's a big chunk of people who are saying, look, I've really figured out what matters to me. And it's not the clothes you wear. And it's not the makeup and it's not all that stuff. It's much deeper than that. And then I get a sense that there's a totally opposite track of people who just want to party like hell and, you know, go crazy and it's all superficial. And I don't, you know, I don't, I want to go back to what I had before, but on steroids. Do you see the two tracks? Yeah, definitely. Like you do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be people who are just reckless abandon and then, yeah. Those who say, hey, I, I'm going to take stock of what I learned and I'm not going to tolerate the same garbage that I tolerated before. I know who I am. I know what I want. Life is short. There's been a lot of loss and a lot of horrible things that happened. And I'm going to take things much more seriously now. So let's finish up by talking about the multi-tracking, because I think that that's a really interesting thing because so many people come to me, Sandy, and they, they're like, I haven't figured out what the thing is yet. I haven't mm -hmm. figured out what the thing I'm supposed to do is next. I'm not, how did you get into it? And what are the, what are the best things about it? Yeah. So I'm a multi-tracker, but not everybody is. And I think that the, the biggest thing that holds people back is fear. If I try this, what if it doesn't work? 
and you won't know if it works unless you try it. I, one of my kids right now is in a job that he doesn't love and he keeps telling me, I don't love it, but he works so many hours that it's hard for him to really do what he loves and make money at it. And so let's say you have a passion for art or music or something that's kind of a soft skill that doesn't necessarily yield high income right away. You can do it on the side. Like when I was a graphic designer and I came home and did what I loved, it was important to me to kind of fill me up and make me feel less bad about what I was doing every single day. And I would say, fill your life with things that you love no matter what and pay attention to your intuition. Your intuition holds all the keys to, to what you, what to your why. And for a long time, I was so practical in my life that I ignored my intuition. I didn't realize what was possible. And I think through trying things, being bold, making mistakes. I mean, when I took a job in a summer camp as an art director, I had never been an art director. I didn't know how to be an art director. So I faked it. And I eventually learned through some not so great experiences that I am a leader. I never saw myself as a leader and that I did have good ideas. And, and I just kept applying what I learned. And I think that's another important thing. Just keep, keep trying things and be self-reflective. What am I learning from this? What do we want to take with me and apply to the next thing or to making this thing better? So within my work as a dating coach, I had programs that weren't working. I had to take stock and say, okay, don't focus your time on these things anymore. Focus your time here. I was writing for a lot of publications that were not paying and weren't really bringing enough people to me as customers. So I said, I don't want to do that anymore. What, what do I want to do? And so the, the ability to step back and do that, and some people can do it on their own. If you can't do it on your own, you can work with somebody who can help you. And I think that's, that's also really important to get help. I've hired many coaches who have guided me to grow my business in a way that was much more sustainable. And I think that asking for help is so important, delegating out the things that you're not great at, that you don't want to focus your time on, and to look at the long picture, you know, the big picture, the, the 360 bird's eye view, because if you just look at the steps it takes, it can feel extremely overwhelming. I'll never be able to do this. So if you just look at one step at a time, but keep that big picture in mind of like, who do I want to become? What do I want to be? And that, that's, that's my method. I mean, that's, that's how I got there. I love it. And what a great way to end our discussion. I think that is fabulous. And I love the idea that you can multi-track. I think that will appeal to a certain set of people who don't like to be boxed in. I'm that kind of person. What I hated about corporate life is I used to describe my life as a copywriter at Vogue as being the person asked to do the hit the S key all the time. And then when I said, but I'm really tired of this, can I do F? And they were like, no, <laughs> you're not talented in the F, just do S. And it's like, but I'm going to kill myself. I'm bored. <laughs> they didn't care. you know. And I think um, for those kind of people, 
you have to find those other outlets and pursue them and you never know where they're going to take you. Yeah. Be open to where they're going to take you. And yeah, I agree with you. I could not be in a box. I can't work for people anymore. Like it's really, if I don't have autonomy and freedom, it's really hard for me to do good work. And so you have to know yourself. And for many years I was boxed in and I absolutely despised it. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I can do both. I can, I can be a really good employee um, and do all that. But on the side, I have to have my other things that I do because I, I don't like being boxed in either. Yes. So Sandy, thank you so much for your time. And everybody can find you where? Where's the first stop to find you? <laughs> the first stop is lastfirstdate.com. You can find all my coaching programs, my books, my courses, my podcast, my quiz. And right. the other website is thewomanofvalue.com. That's where my other podcast lives. And I have programs there for people who are looking to expand who they are and really work on writing that book and doing those things that scare you or you, you're so overwhelmed, you don't even know where to begin. Awesome. Wonderful. Sandy, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. So thank you for joining us today. I hope that was helpful to you. I hope for all you omnitaskers out there and omni-interested people, this actually spoke to you. We really haven't done somebody like Sandy before, and I think it's a unique kind of perspective. And if you're interested in more in reinvention, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, pass it along to your friends who are interested in reinvention because we are reinvention central come over to coveyclub.com where we've got a lot of content about reinvention we also teach about reinvention and then i have this wonderful free guide which is to get you started on your reinvention it's called 31 tips 31 badass tips to launching your reinvention without fear and the idea was i wanted to put down everything i've kind of learned just in a in a list form with a lot of links in there just to get you started on the most important stuff that I know because sometimes just getting started is the hardest part and we have a link in the show notes to it or you can go over to the Covey Club site and you can find it under connect hit the connect part of the, of the Covey Club site and you will see it pop up right there and download that and get started on your reinvention I hope that what you see is that you can reinvent no matter what your background is. That's what I love about reinvention. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your talents. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter anything. You can reinvent. Look at all these wonderful reinventors and they all did it over the age of 40. So thank you for joining us and I hope you'll join us next time. Take care.